space. Well, not really. Take two. Here, in the Mitten State, welcome to Code 47, bringing you all things Star Trek, spanning the quadrants, the best things as the neutral zone. All right, we are back. This is the Code 47 podcast over on the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. I am your humble servant, Trek Lord of Western Michigan, Charlie Carden of the USS Grand Petoskey uh, chapter uh, of the International Star Trek fan club. That's right. Uh, And I am back back joined again by Erin. It's been over a month since Erin and I have done a show together, so I'm excited to welcome her back. Erin, what's up? Kapla? Kapla, so indeed. Did doing three shows today, so. Oh my um, gosh. This is my favorite. That's the correct butt kissing answer. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, like that the, is. <laughs> I'm sure. Based on what the other things that you described to me, which will not be described in detail here, I totally understand. Uh, so yeah, so we have uh, we've moved forward. Uh, to the point we're continuing through our journey of the first seasons of all of the classic Star Trek shows. Classic uh, meaning, you know, things that predated, uh, obviously, uh, CBS All Access, which is now uh, Paramount+. Plus. Um, and, you know, back when uh, my former co-host and Alex and I started the show, Lower Decks was on, uh, and then Season 4 of Discovery was on, so we got to talk about those as they unfolded, which was awesome. Um, but now we have, we have gotten through the classic series, as it were, talking about the first season of all those, and we're moving on to the first season of Star Trek Discovery. Uh, which came out in the fall of 2017, I'm going to say off the top of my head. Uh, this was the first Star Trek show to air in 12 years since uh, the uh, you know somewhat abrupt cancellation of Star Trek Enterprise. Uh, and then we had the, uh, the Kelvin movies, which we're going to say less about that as humanly possible. Uh, yeah, if you want to hear the bashing of the Kelvin movies, that's, that's, what, that's what Rich and I have done in your absence, Aaron, if you've not caught up. Because uh, we don't enjoy it, unfortunately. So uh, I don't enjoy it either. That's why I didn't sign up for them. That's very smart. I like it. So, um, but at any rate, uh, yeah. Now we're jumping in and talking about Discovery. So it, it came on. We had a 16 episode first season, or perhaps a little bit less. Uh, but it was split into kind of a part one and a, a chapter one and a chapter two, which was very helpful. Chapter one uh, is a bit longer. Uh, then chapter two. So this is going to be a longer episode this week than it's going to be next week. Cause next week we're just talking about the five episodes that wrap up that first season. But this week we are talking about nine episodes, which doesn't really sound like a lot since we've covered up to, to 13 or perhaps more uh, with the classic series, but there's a heck of a lot to unpack uh, in these first nine episodes. So without further ado, we're going to kind of employ the same format uh, as always, Aaron is going to run through the uh, description, which uh, in this and, the, and again, these come from Wikipedia just for simplicity, simplicity's sake. Um, but uh, they're they're a little wordy. So I think Aaron might just drill it down and make it a little more simple. So without further ado, uh, let's get it rolling with episode one, the Vulcan Hello, which sounds like a, either a drink at a bar or some kind of weird sex tape. So go ahead. Before we do that, Charlie. Yes. I just want to very, very briefly discuss with you how excited you were when Discovery came out. I mean, for over a year. We were so excited that this new series was going to be on because it had been so long since we had anything good. Right. 
True, or anything at all. Yeah, anything. I was going to say anything at all, but anything good. You're correct, because we did have JJ, and yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's why I said anything good. Oh, yes, All indeed. right. So, the first episode, The Vulcan Hello, um, investigating a damaged satellite near a binary star system on the edge of Federation space, the crew members of the USS Shen... Shen how do you say Shen, it? Shenzhou. I have so much trouble with it. Shenzhou. <laughs> like, I can hear Giorgio saying it, but I can't yeah. do it. Discover an object obscured from their sensors. Um, first officer Michael volunteers to go investigate the object in a really cool spacesuit, and then she sees like this Klingon guy that attacks her, and then she kills him by accident, and then she goes back to her ship and she's like, Oh, the Klingons are here. <laughs> oh my god, it's a whole thing. Yeah. So that's my recap. I like it. Well, you know, and, and you know what? It, that that kind of teed it up to, to not really giving away the farm. So, yeah, I mean, this was crazy. Right away, we started away with the visual of uh, we get like two minutes of Klingon talking. Uh, completely, what do complete, you mean? Completely subtitled. So, uh, for so very slowly. It's very deliberate. So may, maybe we'll call this uh, episode... Klingons very slowly. Um, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, but yes, I'll go down and I'll note that in the show notes. But I mean, right from the bat, again, uh, think about the last thing we saw on Star Trek TV, the finale of Enterprise. Now, I know you didn't watch Enterprise for a long time. Have you, going back and revisit, did you get all the way through it or are you still? Oh, in yeah. Front? No, no. Yeah. I've, I've, I've seen all of Enterprise. I just didn't see it until like eight years ago or something. So it had already been off the air when I decided to pick it up. I hear you. Well, as you recall, the final episode of Enterprise was an abomination. It was horrible. Yeah. Uh, it, it was essentially, instead of being in a Rick Berman, who was the guy who basically torpedoed the, the first golden era of Star Trek, d tried to call it, a, oh, it's a love letter to the fans. It's a love letter to the fans. It was a middle finger to the fans. Essentially, what, essentially what you took is that instead of giving enterprise and its castmates and its characters a proper farewell you jammed what seemed to be the end of their journey into a holodeck program that Riker and Troy got to be a part of which was completely absurd it is it and even as much affinity as I have for Riker and Troy this was bad so this episode coming around Absolutely everything has changed. We have a new production company. We have uh, the first Star Trek television program not filming in Los Angeles on the Paramount lot. This is filmed almost in its entirety in Toronto. So it's even international the way that Star Trek was not before. And we have a brand new look to Klingons that are nice and shiny like the Tin Man. Exactly. So, yeah, you have, you know, talk about balls in an uproar, pardon the expression. Your neck, neck beards of the Internet immediately started, well, this is not my Star Trek. Burr, 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 burr. Because, you know, I've said it across all three of the Secret, Four, Secret Friends shows that I do, you know, wanting the same thing over and over again in any kind of entertainment is like, Aaron, do you remember now? Do, do you know what my expression is? Uh, listen, though, before you say it, I just want to see Worf all the time. So I get it. You know, I have that giant thing of Worf in my room. I have all the Klingon weapons. <laughs> I want 24-7 Worf. You want to Worf it up. That being said... To look at entertainment, if you have pizza for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, how long is it going to be before you hate pizza? The same applies to franchises. If Star Wars is always the same, 
how long does it take for you to hate Star Wars? Well, the inverse of that is, is that people who really want things to always be the same. Well, well you think- can also serve somebody up like a giant turd like Star Wars did with those middle three <laughs> movies and then I'm just kind of like, um, I'm not going to uh, finish this. Mm, Star Wars turds, but we'll address that over on Hot Ground. <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure Mark Perfect. knows. Oh, but at any rate, yes, this was a complete departure. We started out with the slow talking Klingons in subtitles, which again, if you're doing what most of us do, which is multitasking, you've got it on in the background and you're not looking at it, you don't know what the hell they're talking about. So, you you know, is that a good that it makes you sit up and take notice? Potentially. Um, but at any rate, uh, you know, we get the slow talking Klingons. They're talking about their secret plans for invasion. Then we drop down and see two two women walking through a desert. They identify themselves as the captain and the first officer of this ship. Oh, uh, what the- a beautiful scene that is, though. I, well, it's the most spectacular location shoot I feel like we've ever seen in a Star Trek television program the or, write- or, or a the movie. Writing's, the writing's not great, though, with their banter between the two of them. Great. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's it's a little stilted. But again, remembering Michael Burnham and her background as will unfold over these nine episodes is that she is an orphaned human raised by Vulcan foster parents from age, you know, 10, let's say. Uh, so she's very stilted. She's very Vulcan like. Uh, so that could influence it, but still, it's a little weird. Um, so anyway, they, they solve a little bit of an issue. They get back to their ship. Uh, they find out that, you know, as, as you described, uh, there's a Klingon ship sitting out there. Uh, or there, there's a disturbance that they have to go check out. Burnham zips over there in her cool spacesuit. The very first thing she does when talking to this Klingon is he makes a move, and she just stabs him with his own sword. It's like... You could maybe you could have danced with him a little bit and gotten away. Yeah, give, give him a second. You, you know, you're just gonna kill him. That, that, maybe he was trying to kiss you. Uh, you don't know even through the spacesuit. I mean, he. Uh, you know, th- this situation seemed a little bit escalated a little too far. Uh, so much so that she could have avoided something by simply retreating or just dodging and then going wee because she had to go. She had a short time to be there anyhow. So, in um, fairness, like if some dude that looked like that came up to me and got really close, I might stab him too because I stab. I'm stabby. You're stab- well, especially with all those with all those fancy uh, fancy sharp knives you've got there behind you in your in your studio. So, uh, at any rate, so yeah, the episode winds down. Uh, with Burnham being super convinced after, you know, after a Zoom call with her foster dad, who just happens to be Sarek, uh, played by actor, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, James, James Frain, who we've seen in tons of stuff. He's a British actor. And now he's so ta- good. Yeah. Now taking on the, he's now the the third guy to take on a primary speaking role of Sarek, because of course, Sarek was Mark Leonard in the original series. He was played by a British actor in the JJ movies. I don't know why, why he, he. He had a British accent in that, but not in this. So I guess another uh, consequence of everything that happened in the Kelvin universe is that accents changed. Yeah, nobody I guess. cares about JJ. They right, exactly. Expect it. They don't want to acknowledge it because it's crap. Yeah, thank you very much. We should absolutely do the JJ movies, you, me, and Rich together, and just have it be have it just be a fire sale. I think that would be a lot of fun. But we'll at any rate, that, and then we'll mail like one of those like um, glitter penis bombs to his house. <laughs> Please. Uh, but at any rate, so at the end of this, you know, uh, Burnham uh, has this video call with Sarek. She's convinced that she has to uh, employ a Vulcan strategy you known as the Vulcan hello with the Klingons, which means you fire first in order to break the stalemate. Uh, Giorgio disagrees, and Burnham's solution is to knock her ass out and then try to fake her way through ordering a uh, uh, phaser barrage regardless. 
and the captain stops her, and then we jump to the next episode, which this was aired, uh, I'm trying to remember, this was aired as a uh, basically a two-night event. CBS played it. It was then on CBS All Access at the same time, and then the show exclusively became uh, CBS All Access only with the, fo- the episode three the following week. So we jump right into the shoot 'em up known as Battle is the Binary Stars, episode two. Go ahead. Okay, Takuvna convinces the majority of Klingon leaders that he can lead them to victory over the Federation as reinforcements of the Shenzhou arrive. Did I say that right? Did. Um, Giorgio offers to resolve the situation peacefully, but the Klingons immediately open fire. Starfleet Admiral Anderson arrives and again offers peace to the Klingons, but his ship is rammed by another cloaked Klingon vessel. Anderson has his ship self-destruct, destroying the Klingon ship as well. Starfleet retreats, leaving the Klingons to collect their dead. In the remains of the Shenzhou, Burnham escapes her cell after encouragement from her guardian, Sarek, via telepathic connection. She convinces Giorgio to try to take Takavma prisoner, and they create a distraction by sending an explosive into his ship with a Klingon corpse. Boarding the vessel, Burnham overpowers Vok. Giorgio attempts to capture Takuvma, but is killed. Takuvma is fatally shot by Burnham, who is transferred to safety. Vok promises that Takuvma's legacy will live on. Burnham, Burnham is later sentenced to life in prison for mutiny, which is a very harsh sentence for that. That seems super extreme. Yep. But for the fact that she didn't actually do anything, you know, if no, you look at, she did you know, she did, she, she knocked the captain out, you know, that, you know what, that was, that, that wasn't cool. Should look have avoided five that. Five years. Five yeah, years exactly. Five years in dismissal from the service, but life in prison. And I, she's because, right. Well, she was right because subsequently the Shenzhou did not fire on the Klingons. They didn't start the conflict. The Klingons just hopped in there anyway and started shooting them up. All these other sh- uh, ships show up. Everybody, you know, people start dying left and right, including the command admiral, Commander and or uh, Admiral Anderson dies. Why is that her fault? She she uh, it is it. It isn't. It's, the, it's absurd. The Klingons she mixed it up with that was self defense, despite the fact that it seemed a little bit convenient that she was just like he makes a move and she steps forward and grabs his batleth and jams it through him she didn't have a sword with her she killed him with his own weapon immediately which was very weird so it all seems a little iffy it's a little extreme um but again you know we're judging their culture by our culture um being okay, that- but but not necessarily because in a later episode um, Lorca tells her the reason that that he I mean, I know it's a lie. That's not the reason. But he says that, you know, he liked the fact that she had the awareness of what was going on. And that's the kind of person he needs on his ship. So even in the higher ups, there is some sort of acknowledgement that she was right. Right. Just so. Yeah. But she was sitting in front of this panel of admirals are like, you're bad and whatever it was. And, you know, and again, how could she have much of a trial of mute? Well, I guess all the people on the bridge of the Shenzhou said, yeah, well, you know, the captain came out and pointed a phaser at her and said, you're guilty of mutiny. And then she died or whatever. And it's, it's her fault that the cat, it's not her fault that the captain died. They just wanted to blame somebody for the entire, the right. entire battle or the entire war with the Klingons. And that happened to be her. And then right. it was very, very unfair and it's not very futuristic. Right, exactly. It's yeah. So you're right. The system of justice does not seem to be uh, very evolved in any way, shape, or form. But anyway, speaking of the name of the next episode, really sums that up. Episode three is context for kings. Uh, context is for kings. 
Six months into her sentence, Burnham is on an unexpected prison transfer when an emergency force when an emergency forces her shuttle to be rescued by the USS Discovery. Spending several days on the ship, Burnham is ordered by its captain, the mysterious Gabriel Lorca, to assist with a scientific assignment. Burnham overhears Lieutenant Paul Stamets, an astrologist who is leading the assignment, discuss an upcoming experiment with a colleague serving on another starship. Lorca is soon informed of the incident on the Discovery sister ship, the USS Glenn, that has killed the entire crew. Stamets led a boarding party to investigate and finds the dead crew hideously twisted and malformed, as well as a group of Klingons killed by an unknown creature. Lorca later asks Burnham to work for him, despite her sentence explaining that he organized the circumstances that led her to him so she could develop a new spore-based propulsion system that could win the war she started by killing Takuvma. He secretly has the creature transported aboard the Discovery. Wow, that's a really poorly written... Sorry, sorry, Wikipedia. Yeah, it really jumps around a lot. But, you know, that being said, I, I feel like the most of everything happens in this episode. This episode is really cranking with developments because we start with at the beginning, you know, uh, you see Burnham on the ship with these other prisoners. And that's she's, a cool scene too. They do really very good opening scenes. Like the one where she's on the, the, the little prison ship being transported. Right. That's a cool scene. Oh, I agree. And she, she's totally catatonic. It's like she's divorced herself from reality because, because her reality is so miserable, which makes sense for anybody who's ever, been dealt a bad hand in life sometimes sometimes you can end up like that but you know things happen very rapidly she ends up on discovery and then in complete contrast of starfleet protocol well we have this mutineer that we've uh, scheduled to, uh, you know uh, that we've sentenced to life in prison but because she's useful and again this is where you start to not really figure out what the deal with Lorca is and that things are a little fuzzy and we're kind of headed in a weird direction this would be a start to that, um, but we're but we're we're not we're certainly not going to give away the big twist because that's going to happen in next week's episode. But you're starting to figure out that Lorca he's a little iffy. Um, we meet a lot of our main characters uh, in this episode. Uh, we do see the return of one of uh, Burnham's uh, shipmates from uh, from the Shenzhou. That would be the the Khan Ensign, whose name I'm for uh, uh, Detmer. Uh, who suffered a suffered a terrible injury? She has a bionic eye, and half of her hair is missing, and stuff. And so, and then Saru, who is the first officer, who you know, they, oh boy, they don't get along, uh, is the first officer of no, the ship. but so, there's a big change in him from the first episode to this episode, where he's a lot more confident. Did you notice that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he was. Well, you know, it seemed like it, it was kind of like a like a like siblings things like she was the big sibling. And, you know, I have yeah. a very over I have an over very overbearing sibling as well, as you know, as I was describing to you, know, I'm going to get into all that. But, you know, you feel different when you're feeling like you're judged all the time and it can affect your behavior. It's kind of it's kind of it's kind of unavoidable. We were also uh, introduced to Commander Landry, who's a freaking psycho. Well, and and she's a freaking Cylon too. If you're a fan of Battlestar, yeah, she yeah. Was, she she was one of the final five. Sorry, spoiler for anybody who's listening. Um, but yeah, she was. Yeah, she's a total psycho. And as you're gonna see in episode four, she's gonna get her just desserts as well. But yeah, a lot going on. And then you get you get uh, the, you know other cast members in, in introduced. You get uh, oh, Tilly. Paul Stamets. Oh, Tilly, who I I was. I hate to say this, but I I cannot believe. That poor actress, how unhealthy she looks now versus how she looked back then. What a big change. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think she was under a lot of pressure to meet certain 
you know, conformities to what actresses are supposed to look like. Right. Right. Um, so but... she, she looks considerably different. It was interesting whenever, um, you know, they first introduce her, she says she has special needs. And, you know, you think, well, what kind of special needs does she have? And then she said she snores and she has allergies. And you're like, those aren't special needs. Yes. You would think that you would think that uh, that in this kind of day and age or that day and age that snores and uh, allergies wouldn't even exist anymore. I mean, they I have can't special needs. I'm thirsty. I, oh, my, you know what? I am, too. Let me take a big old sip of water here. Let me see if I can help my special needs. I have some bubbly caffeine water. Ooh, there you go. Ooh, calf, as they call it in Star Wars. Oh, sorry, is that too much of a crossover? But anyway, great episode that, that kind of furthers things along. The, you know, the poor crew of the Glen, that's rough uh, that that happens. But again, that, that gets us going with the tardigrade, which is an, an awesome thing to see. What do you think um, about the Alice in Wonderland thing? D- uh, more specifically? Where she's crawling through the um, the Jeffrey's tubes on the Glen Burnham is. And yeah. she just starts, like, like reciting Alice in Wonderland out of nowhere while she crawls around. And it's somehow what she's reciting is relevant to what she's doing. I don't know. I didn't like that. I thought it was forced. Yeah. Well, yeah. Just like, you know, her whole rerouting to this was kind of suspicious, but again, it's revealed a little bit later on, but boy, you know, this, this whole, this whole season has super weird episode names. So episode four uh, is the butcher's knife cares not, for the lamb's cry. Okay. <laughs> sure. Um, Lorca assigns Burnham to study the creature from the Glen, dubbed a tardigrade, to find a way to use its biology as a weapon. Starfleet nice. orders discovery to the Dilithium mining colony, Corvan 2, which is under Klingon attack. Stamets is reluctant to make such a long jump using the spores, and when the drive is activated, to the, sh- the ship nearly collides with a star. Lorca sends Commander Landry to keep Burnham's research on track, and she attempts to sedate the tardigrade that she names Ripper to cut off its claw. It kills her. Womp womp. Yeah, right. (laughs) Bye, bitch. (laughs) Burnham believes that Ripper was acting in self-defense and is drawn to the spores. Stamets and Burnham transport it to engineering where it connects to the spore drive and it interfaces with the navigation system. The ship successfully makes a jump to Corvan 2 and saves the colony. And then there's this little girl that was like, who saves us? So late. Anytime you throw in, you know, and you and I have somewhat similar thoughts on kid actors and stuff like that. It's just just such a groan. You know what I mean? Who saves us? Exactly. Exactly. Boo. Big thumbs down. Anyway. On Takuvma's stranded ship, Klingon leader Kull earns the loyalty of Takuvma's desperate followers and leaves Vok to die in the wreckage of the Shenzhou. Lorel, secretly loyal to Vok, promises a way for them to win the war from the house of Takuvma. Dum dum, Klingon intrigue. The title is a mouthful. What is the who's slaughtering or whatever is okay? Sounds great. Uh, bottom line is obviously we're moving the plot forward. Uh, the tardigrade is, is not not a cuddly creature, but we kind of like it somehow anyway. Um, and yeah, it makes the spore drive work, which is super cool. Landry gets eviscerated because she's kind of a word, a four letter word. I'm not going to say. So that's all very exciting. Tuesday. Uh, see you next Tuesday, or starts with a T and ends with a T. But anyway, wow. uh, yeah. So um, yeah, th- th- this is this is kind of moving stuff forward. I like it. Um, Little trivia because I'm a little trivia guy. Corvan 2 
is home to a weird little, uh, which by the 24th century is an endangered species called the Corvan Gilvos, which is a weird little puppety thing that you see in the end of the the uh, the episode in season five of TNG when Alexander comes to live on the Enterprise Wharf Sun, and they have a little uh, they have a little display of them, and and they and when there's a fire on the ship, Riker has to rescue him. So you see him walking out of here, walking through the smoke, carrying these Corvan Gilvos. Weird things I remember. I have one for you too. Please. On the planet, they say something about Zaphod who is the name of the captain in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That is not Star Trek trivia. You you got me. I was like, uh, what? Yes. No, that's cool. I do like little uh, sneak-ins like that. It's not Hitchhikers, but all throughout uh, any of the works of Michael and Denise Okuda, who I'm, I'm friends with them on Facebook and follow them on social media, they always love to stick in little references to things like Buckaroo Banzai or uh, various anime properties that they loved. So, like, you know, Nelvana 3, which was a planet uh, in an episode called The Defector in TNG, was uh, in the Romulan Neutral Zone, was a reference to the Canadian Nelvana Studios, which was famous for doing anime. So, all kinds of little fun little stuff. So, I, I like that. So, um, so, we get a little break from the main part of the story-ish, which I, I'm not not super sure how I'm feeling about this because this is where we get our first kind of plug into legacy Star Trek. But episode five is called "Choose Your Pain," which I and did. It's, it's I, so easy I, to say. I did that twice, uh, and it was ex-wife's number one and ex-wife number two. That was me choosing my pain. But anyway, enough about me. Okay. Um, after a month of successful operations, Lorca is ordered to protect the spore drive until it can be replicated by other starship Starfleet ships. As he returns to the Discovery, Lorca is taken captive by the Klingons. Burnham has grown concerned by the toll that the drive has taken on the Ripper. The Ripper. The Ripper! Along with Stamets' partner, medical officer Hugh Colber, Burnham convinces Stamets to find an alternate uh, way to run the drive. Lorca is imprisoned and captured by, with Starfleet officer, and I, I hate to say this name because it's so douchey, Ash Tyler. I know. What a bro name. You think he'd be a soccer dude with soccer bangs, back for a baseball cap, waiting on line at the Land Shark, in which in East Lansing, where I went to school, was like the frat bar. Yeah. And the, hanging out and, yeah, being all. Ugh, very 90s. And human criminal Dwight Schrute, LOL. I mean, Harry Mudd. <laughs> Zing! In the discussions, Lorca reveals that he killed his entire crew during an earlier battle to spare them from the Klingons' torture, but escaped himself. Lorca is tortured by Laurel, who wants the secret behind Discovery's new form of travel, but Lorca and Tyler escape before the Klingons learn anything. For the final jump needed to escape the Klingons, with Lorca and Tyler on board, Stamets connects to the spore drive himself using Ripper's DNA. Later, Burnham frees Ripper, while Stamets' reflection does not walk away um, from a mirror when he does. Ooh, oh, foreshadowing. thanks. Thanks, Freddie, foreshadowing. Oh, yeah, exactly. So now that we, we want to keep everybody on the edge of their seat to tune into next week's episode, if you've not seen this this, this season from four years ago, uh, that it might have something to do mirror-related. I don't really know. Um, but, yeah, this was a whiz-bang episode. Uh, we did get Harry Mudd, who is obviously a recast. Uh, was actor Roger Carmel in the two episodes of the original series. He was always played for laughs. This guy is really not played for laughs. He's a little uh, he's a little disgusting and deceptive. Um, but it is. Uh, but no. Well, the first the first Harry Mudd in the original series, like in Mudd's Women, he, that guy's disgusting. Okay, he's a pig. Right, but he's not scary. He's not threatening. He's just disgusting. Right. So. 
give him disgusting, but I, 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 you never really considered him a threat. He was a, he was more of a nuisance. He's Here a gad, he's, he's a gadfly, absolutely. Yeah, he's a gad. But in, in this, and then in the subsequent episode that we see him in. Uh, in here in the season, um, he's he, he's 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 a bad guy, and he's he, he's put you know putting the crew in danger. So, yeah, there's it, there's a there's there's a shoot me up. Uh, you know, we get introduced to our to another new cast member uh, who you know ends up you know being a convenient replacement for you know bye bye to Commander Landry. Um, so she takes his job when she gets back to the shop. But again, he he's a you know he's he's been broken by torture. So you know every everybody on Discovery needs count like nonstop counseling about is there anybody on the ship who's not totally screwed up emotionally and i don't think ash tyler was really being tortured wasn't he just like having sex with the klingon lady oh no he that's we're gonna get into that that, not exactly but we're gonna find yeah we're gonna find out about that that does get revealed in in uh, one of the episodes that we're gonna cover next week but there's a little bit more to it than that he wasn't just you know having sex with a klingon lady which Sounds. I, I did. I oh. didn't want to reveal too much, but because we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But at the same time, you know, he's being tortured. But we know later that he's having sex with this woman. So is she torturing him? No, they're just sleeping together. How uh, she's not. But that's not all that's going on with him. But y- y- you'll be reminded if you've not watched forward that there's a whole lot more going on with him uh, than just getting down, get, getting down with some interspecies wickety whack. So um, it was cool in this episode to see the Targrade set free. Um, you know, obviously we're still dealing with, uh, you know, how, who's going to drive the ship with Stamets and everything. Um, but it's only him. I mean, even, even to present day discovery, he's the only guy who can drive the ship. So, um, but that's still, still left in, um, left in quandary, but, uh, moving along. He's not the only guy who can drive the ship. Yeah. He's, well, he's the only one who can drive the sport drive. By the end of where we are, like at the end of discovery, somebody else drives discovery. I don't. No, no, no. The, to do the. No, it's still him because no, don't you remember at the end of season three when the the Emerald Chain was taken over Starfleet headquarters? They needed him to still jump Discovery. They did, but then um, what's uh, Burnham's boyfriend's name? Oh, uh, uh, B- Booker. Yeah, Booker puts his hands in and drives the spore drive. He can do oh, it. Too. Yes, I cannot believe I. I guess I need to watch season three again. Shame on me. Move it. What are you doing Move. here? I don't know. Moving along because I don't want to embarrass myself. Uh, see, episode six is called Lethe, which is actually it's, ref- it, it's pronounced Lethe. Lethe, but it's a reference to the original series, which at the time it came out was some people postulated that well maybe this is maybe the what happens eventually with this character she becomes Lethe in the original series episode the the character who is one of the one of the focuses of this. So, but anyway, I'll let you do your thing and I'll circle back about that. Okay. On his way to broker peace deal with the renegade Klingon houses, Sarek is injured when a logic extremist attempts to assassinate him. Burnham senses this, and Lorca agrees to rescue Sarek. Admiral Katrina Cornwell questions this decision and others that Lorca has been making. Meanwhile, she's the older sister from Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Correct! Dad. Not only that, because I was watching this, uh, ironically, I was kind of watching this, separate you know separately but kind of together uh with my very good friend miranda because she's like well i haven't why i wanted to jump back in and watch it i hadn't seen it since it was first on but she said yeah the admiral is the uh she and she didn't say she didn't Did make she? reference no she didn't make reference to that movie uh but she made reference to another one that jane brooke was in as a young woman 
Okay. Damn it. Now, now I'm forgetting. But yeah, Jane Brooke is the actress. She was in uh, a lot of stuff like where she always plays kind of a bitchy character. But yeah, yeah it was always like a B character, too. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, not, not a starring role. But this is she is going to turn out to be one of the few Starfleet admirals that we can really like, because I the vast like majority of Starfleet admirals that you see in all of Star Trek, they're just friggin terrible. They're always you know, mucking up the works or they're involved in some secret plot to do something terrible or they're just looking to screw over one of our characters. Admirals are always terrible. She is pretty cool. Um, I mean, she's a, she's a, she's a doctor, uh, you know, in her prior life becoming an admiral. She and Lorca. Um, but yeah, she, and then in the end of season two, she makes the ultimate sacrifice to save the enterprise itself. So she's an awesome character. Um, but, uh, but do you want me to continue with the novel? Yes, please. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. Okay. Tangent, please. Burnham searches for Sarek in a shuttle with her roommate, Cadet Sylvia Tilly and Tyler. Burnham attempts to connect with Sarek's mind and finds him remembering the time that her application for the Vulcan Expeditionary Group was rejected. She learns that the VEG would only admit one of Sarek's children, and he chose Spock, his half-human son. Spock ultimately chose to join Starfleet, rendering Sarek's decision futile. Burnham helps him regain consciousness and, and activate a locator beacon. Lorca and Cornwell have sex, but she is concerned by his paranoid behavior and plans to remove him from command of Discovery. With Sarek unable to meet the Klingons, Cornwell takes his place. However, the peace talks are actually a trap and she's taken captive. Which I thought when I saw this for the first time, you know, you already kind of feel like Lorca's a little bit evil. You're like, right. maybe he had her captured on purpose. Right. Well, exactly. Because, yeah, he's got he's got all kinds of fingers and all kinds of by everybody is having a bad day in this episode. You know, Sarek has to dredge up these terrible memories uh, because of the connection he has with Burnham, which he doesn't want her in his head anyway. So they're having the real, you know, it's just it is family angst and relationship drama all over the place. You know what I mean? It's just it's it's bad, bad stuff. And then at the end of it, um, we end up. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cornwell ends up being captured. So great first episode for her. What a bummer. You know, at least, you know, she's the first person to get laid, I guess, in the show. But still, you know, she's hooking up with a real bad bloke, which we'll obviously learn about more as time goes on. But you um, a bad bloke. <laughs> I do. Why? Well, it's you know, it's it's my influence to listen to the damn Australian Weekly Planet podcast. I end up talking like them. <laughs> He's a real bad bloke. Um, but I liked it. It was action packed, and again, it's always it, it's about a little bit of uh, character development. Uh, we get a little bit more uh, r- uh, touching upon some background with. I hate to say it from the Kelvin movies. Did kind of elucidate a little bit more of this. There was a scene with uh, Zachary Quinto's portrayal of Spock, where he. Uh, was offered a slot in the uh, in Vulcan Science Academy, and he gave it the thumbs down because he wanted to do Starfleet instead. Um, so this this kind of dances around that a little bit. So, um, but it further illustrates obviously why there's there's so much emotional distance between Sarek and Spock, and then uh, and then Spock and Burnham as well, which we'll learn about next season. So, good pivotal episode, um, and again does move forward the overall uh, kind of plot line of the first part of the season. So. Oh, I can't wait for this next episode because, you know, I love a good time loop. Oh, yeah. The the most fun episode of the season. So go ahead. Okay. Magic makes the sanest man go mad. While attending a crew party, Burnham and Tyler are called out to the bridge to deal with an endangered space creature that the Discovery has come across. When the creature is brought on board, it is revealed to be carrying a person, Dwight Schrute, LOL, Harry Mudd. 
He plans to kill Lorca and sell his ship to the Klingons, but when he is caught, he blows up the ship instead. Time returns to the party earlier, with Burnham and Tyler called to the bridge again. They are intercepted by Stamets, who is aware that they are in a time loop due to his interactions with Ripper. Over numerous time loops, Stamets works with Burnham and Tyler to find a solution to the problem, while Mudd gets further in his plan each time. They eventually convince Mudd that he has won, and and he ends the time loop. Preparing to receive a boarding party of Klingons, Mudd is instead confronted by his beloved Stella and her father, for whom he has stolen her dowry. (laughs) They take Mudd away. Stamets reveals to Burnham and Tyler that um, in one of the time loops, they had danced together and sucked each other's faces. Sucking the faces. So a lot going on in this episode. First of all, and not the most importantly, talking about burying the headline, Stella aged horrendously between her appearance here and then her appearance as an android in the uh, the iMud episode where Mud is running a planet of androids. Uh, and he has one in a glass case that's his, you know, Stella, just so he can tell her to shut up and then turn her off, which is, you know, okay. what a, but, what a but great healthy relationship. Wouldn't she be younger in this? Yeah, absolutely. So she's, I think she's beautiful in this, but what the hell happened to her between that and that, or did he just make an android that looked like a melted ice cream version of his, of his estranged wife? Well, you actually, you actually see his wife in, in Mud's Women. He has all the androids, but then she's there too. He just has her locked up so that she doesn't talk. No, 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 no. We're talking about the same thing because Mud's Women was the first episode where he's, he's transporting those three women who are taking the drugs to make them look pretty or whatever and then the second episode with mud oh yeah he he's on a planet with with sentient androids that are doing his bidding and he had the androids make him a, a version of his wife or ex-wife or strange wife or whatever who's like a withered old lady as opposed to the woman we see here who also has red hair who's very pretty and young and stuff so it's like did he just kind of ugly up this android look yeah get you know put 50 years on her and make her look like, you know, the Wicked Witch of the West, because that's kind of what she looked like. I know. She is. She's quite beautiful here. And and it kind of makes you wonder, like, why is he being so mean to this lady and stealing her dowry? She seems like a nice lady. Because he's because he's a jerk. I mean, he's a he's a rogue. But in in this, you know, he's he's just he's he's certainly a lot more malevolent than he was painted in the original series. But, you know, that doesn't mean that that's a weird character turn for him, because I I can certainly see uh, how it could go that way. And hopefully there's the potential to continue to see Rain Wilson's portrayal of Mud in Strange New World since it's the same time frame. So that would be that would be pretty cool to see how he eventually gets himself out of this situation, which was to you know in, into the the shot not the shotgun marriage but the shotgun there's not the shotgun wedding but the shotgun marriage of being uh, in Stella's care. So this was great. The weird party thing I like two things in it is that um, I loved how Tilly is just kind of being a giggly like yeah. Gr- early girl like i i'm I'm about guys in bands right now i'm going through a phase um yeah that was fun and the music the 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 music was like it was like a rap bit sampled in with the bg staying alive which would be like that'd be like you and me going to a party was like oh let's knock out some bach yes oh i want to hear some beethoven to rap beats it's just like is that what like did music from 300 years previous make like a it make like a huge comeback in the 23rd century it just seems like I think it all de-evolved. Yeah. It, oh, it, it goes maybe with World War Three that music was lost, but it was found again. So it seemed like yeah. it was new somehow. There we go. So you get Amazon. Amazon Prime makes a comeback in the 23rd century and you get all these 
weird rat remix. One thing I do remember very clearly from this is that one of the crew members uh, that you see at the party uh, was was uh, looked like perhaps in real life was a disabled veteran because he was in a wheelchair. I think he was missing an arm or something. So I thought that was really touching. But for the fact that I'm seeming to remember that's what it was, and if I'm mistaken, I apologize. But the fact that there's a war on, and that's the kind of thing that happens, and this guy was still in service, he was still on the ship, he was still kind of doing his thing. You know, the where, proving the wherewithal of the human spirit, I like to see that kind of thing. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but overall, a fun episode. It wasn't so super-duper heavy, and it did kind of move the ball forward a little bit in the growing relationship between Ash Tyler's frat guy and Michael Burnham. This Ash is good stuff. Tyler. I know. Horrible. You know what? I'll give you a nickel if you can pro- properly say the name of episode eight without missing a beat. Oh, are you ready? Because I'm going to do it. Here comes your nickel. Okay. See, we spack em parabellum. God Damn it. All right. I'll send, you, I'll send you a nickel via PayPal. So anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Coming to the aid of another Federation ship, the Discovery is unable to prevent the ship's destruction by a Klingon ship with cloaking technology. Desperate for a way to detect the ships when they are cloaked, Burnham, Tyler, and Saru are sent to Pavo, a seemingly uninhabited planet with a naturally occurring crystalline transmitter that broadcasts the planet's vibrational frequency into space. They hope to use the transmitter to create a sonar for all the hidden Klingon ships. They discover that Pavo is inhabited with an indigenous life that introduces Saru to their higher understanding of peace, and he attempts to force Burnham and Tyler to remain with him on the planet forever. Burnham is unable to fight off Saru and the broadcast of the new signal, or and broadcast the new signal. However, the Pavo lifeforms adjust the signal to contact the Klingons as well, hoping to end the war. Cole receives the signal after sentencing Laurel to death. She had tried to help Cornwall escape in exchange for protection from Cole, leading to Laurel apparently killing Cornwall to try to save face with Cole. Wow, that was a mouthful. You know, I have watched this episode. I've watched through season one of Discovery maybe three or four times since it's been out. I always look, I always halfway through the episode go, why the hell are they on this planet? It's like it, that part of it always misses me. I'm like, they're running around on this planet. What the hell's going on? So I feel like this, I, to me, this episode feels like it's absolutely all over the place. You know what I mean? Uh, I have a question really quick. I know at uh, one point Cornwall says that they don't have a death penalty, but they do. The, but just the one. They just right, only just only if you go to only if you go to Talos Four, which Burnham ends up doing in the in the in season two anyway, and she ends up getting off scot free naturally. Right. So I don't. I mean, is that like a writing issue or? Well, or maybe she's just trying. Maybe it's a fake out. Okay. You know what I mean? She's trying to fake her out. So who knows? So yeah, this episode and then obviously the subsequent episode in which the 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 plot line uh, continues forward. Um, I just I could I could watch you know I could watch it again and be like what the hell are they doing on this planet with the weird singy songy sparkly warklies you know it was kind of, it was like an episode it was like an attempt to put an episodic episode for lack of a better expression something that is somewhat unconnected or something that's a little bit you could tune in and watch it's no big deal into something that's a complicated story arc because it's like oh we got this going but let's go down to this planet or whatever and do this thing or that thing so yeah this was this this one was kind of a miss for me I don't know. Okay, I was a miss for me too. Um, I did. It was interesting to see Saru goes nuts, but I really remembered whenever it first came out. I was dating this guy who, I, I mean, he was way more negative about everything than I am, if you can imagine. But he, oh my God. He 
loved this episode. He thought it was great. And I was like, what are you doing? You hate everything and I don't like it. Wow. I don't, he just <laughs> got so his poll. He, he must have had his polls reversed. I don't know. So anyway, all right. You know, Movement. the title of this, the title of this is the Royal Navy motto. I, I did not know that, but it makes it makes perfectly no sense because why would the Navy be talking about going into a forest? Navy is on the sea. The army. Well, that, that, it what the hell? No, no, no. The last one, the one that you couldn't pronounce. Oh, the last one. I thought you were talking about episode nine. Sorry. No, it means if you want peace, prepare for war. Which, you know what? That totally makes sense. Yeah. You know what? It's talking about, it, it's what anybody in the professional managerial world understands, managing expectations. Prepare for war. Are you ready for Into the Forest I Go? Yes, which could not be the slogan of the Royal Navy because no. they, they're on the sea, not the land, or they're mostly on the sea. But anyway, go ahead. It, this is the the Royal Marines. Yes! Um, Starfleet Marine Corps, that's us! Woo! Yeah, you, you can start using it. You got Into it. Into the Forest I Go. All right. Lorca is ordered to flee before the Klingons arrive, but disobeys to protect life forms on Pavo and improve their chances of detecting the closed ships. When the Klingons arrive, Tyler and Burnham transport to their ship and plant sensors that will help create an algorithm for detecting the cloaked ships. They find an alive Cornwall hidden with Laurel, but encountering the latter sends Tyler into shock due to torture and rape she subjects him to. Orca, torture. And and the rape, was it rape? And the rape. Yeah, it, well, uh, I don't know. I, th- I think we're going to find out more as time goes on. Okay. Lorca has Stamets make a 133 micro jumps in order to provide a three-dimensional readings on the sensors, while Burnham distracts Cole by challenging him to a fight. The jumps are completed, though not without trauma to Stamets. When the algorithm is calculated, Burnham, Tyler, and Cornwell, and Laurel, who wishes to defect, are transported back to the Discovery, and the Klingon ship is destroyed. Stamets volunteers to make one more jump to safety, but tells Lorca it will be his last. However, Lorca changes the coordinates and they jump to an unknown destination surrounded by debris from Klingon ships. Womp, womp, womp. So, this is the this is this is obviously the wrap up of the first chapter. Um, so we we covered a lot of ground. Obviously, we, we started. We got the first man on man kiss in a Star Trek series. We did, yes. Some on, honestly, you know, taking a jump forward uh, with that socially, which again the neckbeers can't deal with. But I don't. Did you? You, know, you and I don't episode, care about that. Did you catch the nod to Willard Decker? I did when when uh, when they that? called Cadet Cadet Decker. Yes, I did. There was another there was another uh, Decker reference to his father uh, in the episode where Picard was or oh my God, Saru was acting captain. Uh, and he he said, hey, give me a listing of, you know, the top five Starfleet captains. Matthew Decker was one of them, who was his dad, who was, remember, the the Planet Killer episode of the original series. He was the crazy guy who his whole ship got eaten and he was a Commodore. Does that ring a bell? Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. there was. And then, of course, Archer was in there and, and Chris Pike was in, in on that list. But, yes, I absolutely got the cadet deck. I noticed that this time for the first time. So, yay. Yeah, me, me too. That's awesome. So, yeah, so wrapping it up, obviously, we covered a lot of ground in nine episodes. We started with, you know, a fairly regular, you know, captain, first officer, kind of a mother-daughter closeness relationship on a tight-knit little ship that it, that it, that she mutinied, and so her life was, and then everybody died, and a war started, and then we jumped forward onto this weird ship where 
everybody seems to be a broken person and you got a captain who's really shifty you don't know what the deal is and then we get all the way and then we have the journey to pavo which is annoying probably the most annoying thing for me in chapter one was the whole pavo thing because i almost i almost still don't get it even though you read it to me verbatim why they were there i'm still like yeah I still don't like it. I feel like it was an unnecessary, uh, you know, detour to this. But, you know, we get to the point where, you know, they jump away. There's a mistake. And now they're in a weird place. And what weird place are they in? But this whole season was talking about, well, this astro, uh, you know, this mycelial network can take them to different places and different dimensions, different realities that exist. Well, Star Trek is just filled with three. It's basically filled with three realities, four if you account for everything that happens in books and comics and shit, which is non-canon. But the three canon realities are the prime universe, where we are right now, the the one that we don't talk about. And then there's a third one. Aaron, do you know the one I'm talking about? I almost think that we shouldn't say the name of it, that it would be a bad thing for us to talk about it. I don't want to say it. We're not going to say it. But dear listeners, when you tune in next week, we will talk all about it. But We that will wraps- say the shit out of it next week. So much, you know, we're going to say it every fifth word. Just write, yeah. write that down. We'll say it every fifth word, no matter what the context. But anyway, uh, so that's my thoughts on the chapter one. What are your thoughts on chapter one? Who saved us? <laughs> oh, I think that would be annoying. An annoying child should be the name of this, this episode. Let me see. But uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, Oxford sometimes does not put the correct, uh, the correct name. But anyway, while I'm typing that, you give me your thoughts. That was my thought. That was it? <laughs> no, I, I really liked it. I'm just kidding. I don't have, I'm not going to say, oh, I only liked like, you know, 10% of it. I liked every episode with the exception of one that I didn't care for. You didn't really like that one either. So that's fine. I liked the character development. Um, it was so much different than anything we'd seen before with other Star Trek series. So yeah, I, I enjoyed it very much. Awesome. Good deal. And then uh, we're keeping a little light on the news this week because the story I found was kind of meh. So uh, we're gonna, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull out and dust off the soapbox. I'm going to set it down in front of you, and we're going to do a little pluggity plug plug for SFI and a project that Aaron's got going on. So go nuts! I'm actually going to be brief with this. Um, I'm hosting on Zoom a live event. Um, it is with a lecturer that works for NASA and the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. His name is Salem Amara. Woo! Um, yeah, really cool. Um, it's going to be live. If It's going to be June. Oh, my God. I should have looked this up before. Right, Ro, didn't you say June, did it. June, June 12th? June no, 1st? No, 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 no. It's June 1st. Okay, I knew so it. It is. It is, you were right. It's June 1st. Um, and anybody that's interested can reach out to Charlie, to me, um, and, and I'll make sure I reserve your spot. I'll send you the link um, with the information and the Zoom. But we're going to be talking about the current projects of NASA, the future projects of NASA, and we're going to get kind of in depth on the current Mars project. So it's going to be a pretty cool thing. There's also going to be a Q&A at the end. So if you have any questions you'd like to ask a scientist, here's your chance. That sounds amazing. Um, so we will look forward to tuning into that. But with that, that is the end uh, of our show. Who saved us? Aaron, take Who us up on us. A, take us up on out of here. All right. For more information about Starfleet International and Michigan and beyond, please visit Grand Petoskey and or Nomad on Facebook. 
The Code 47 podcast is part of the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network and is produced by Todd Oxtra. Oh, yeah. Well, which will hopefully he will remember to edit out the fact that I had to stop to take a potty break. If not, you've listened to Aaron and I talk about potty humor for an extra like 30 seconds. I hope not. Uh, who but anyway, saved us? who saved us? It was the potty break. Oh, my God. So, uh, friends, as always, thank you for joining us. Uh, we are, of course, a part of the uh, fantastic Secret Friends Unite podcasting network uh, composed of uh, four fantastic shows. You're listening to Code 47, where we talk weekly on Mondays about Star Trek. Uh, every other Wednesday, we talk about uh, myself and Mark Carabin, the Canardian, talk about Star Wars on the Holocron Chronicles. The opposing Wednesday gives you Mark plus Todd Extra, who is our uh, major domo, talking about video games. And then every Friday since 2014, you hear Todd and myself talking about geek culture at large on the Secret Friends Unite main show so you can find our programs anywhere uh that podcasts are hosted uh and uh, you know jump on there give us a little five star if you enjoy the program uh and we appreciate that it does help us grow the show overall uh you can find us over on twitter at secret friends you let us know something you're enjoying if it's star trek star wars video games geek culture whatever it is we will talk about that on the show we have an awesome uh merchandise store over on t public you can find secret friends unite uh so that would be you know hats shirts of course uh hoodies uh different you know logoed items stickers what have you uh proceeds to that actually do move forward with helping the show uh going and different projects that we have uh proceeds above and beyond that will go to benefit the make-a-wish foundation of michigan which is very near and dear uh to my heart so uh with that i'm gonna thank you again for joining us uh as always i'm going to tell you that sharing is caring and to keep on trekking Kapla.